Lord, help us to seek the truth. Come whence it may, cost what it will. Amen. The sermon was not about beef stew. Let me explain. A few years ago, I preached on Father's Day, and I worked really hard to do public theology. I delineated the theological anthropology of fatherhood. I contextualized the biblical texts, exegeting with the best of them, proud of my erudition. And I bet you already zoned out because I used those multisyllabic code words. And then I thought I'd close with a story. It's about a campfire meal gone wrong, a father-son bonding experience with wood smoke swirling around a Dutch oven, chunks of beef simmering in a beer broth as onions soften, carrots caramelize, potatoes glaze, and every woodland creature within about two business miles salivating at the edge of our campsite. You see, it was a day-long project. My dad and I had been talking the whole time. He generously opened the beer cans we needed, sampled them, offered commentary, waved a newspaper in the general direction of the fire so I would know he was helping, and finally our stew was done. I got out the hot pads and straddled the fire, carefully scraped the coals off the lid of the pot, and I lifted our family's dinner out of the fire pit. I could feel all the eyes laser-focused on that Dutch oven. Raccoons, squirrels, and bears, and humans alike licked their chops. Then, just as I was about to lift the lid, my hand slipped and the entire contents of our dinner sizzled away in the ashes. Now, at this point, you'll have to use your liturgical imagination, but I tried to shout every cuss word known to man, and, not for lack of trying, I couldn't get any out, probably because I tried to swear them all at once. Everybody was boned because that was supposed to be our dinner. My dad said, I'm really proud of you for not swearing. Let's get some pizza tonight. He was like that. He could find an honest-to-God compliment in the middle of anything. I loved him for that, and I still miss him. Then I said, Amen, from the pulpit. And I looked out, and I saw grown men and women wiping tears from their eyes. And we went on with church. And afterwards, as we were shaking hands, I greeted a big line of people, and just about everyone said, Yeah, I love that sermon about the beef stew. And I said, well, thank you very much. That's very kind. Blessings on your day. And did I mention that sermon was not about beef stew? It was supposed to be about something else, at least as I thought. Then towards the back of the line, Miss Barbara, who couldn't stand straight anymore, huffed in between words when she spoke and always wore her Sunday finest, took my hand in hers gnarled with arthritis. And she said, I know what you're trying to tell us. You were saying, that was your dad. And he loved you. And you loved him. And it shaped you. And then she said, Andy, you you already know what you know what you know. But if you want us to get it, you're going to have to keep telling stories like that. So go on now. And this is the point. 
be a storyteller. And I said, yes, ma'am, because Miss Barbara was right. And that was the only appropriate response to Miss Barbara at any given time, day or night. It's all a question of story, writes the great theologian Thomas Berry. We are in trouble just now because we do not have a good story. We are in between stories. The old story, the account of how the world came to be and how we fit into it, is not functioning properly. And we have not learned to tell the new story. The old story is a bad one. The old story says, I'm in it for me and you're in it for you. May the best one win. And how's that working out for us right now? People are sick. The country is torn. A pandemic rages. Facts are optional or matters of opinion. The planet is dying. The economy crumbles. Federal agents detain citizens with neither warrant nor arrest. And hope is in short supply. We do not have a good story right now. Stories matter, you see, because they convey truth in the deepest way. You see yourself in the characters. You love them. You worry after them. You wonder how they'll squirm out of their troubles. Think of Alexander Hamilton trying to write his way out of an affair. Stories matter, you see, because they remind us that we are not alone. In tragedy, we hug our loved ones a little tighter. What if Romeo had known that Juliet would soon awake? He never would have taken the poison. Through satire, we notice the absurd as Stephen Colbert and Johnny Carson and others have us glued to the screen. With drama, we learn the nature of ourselves. Harry Potter beats Voldemort because love is stronger than death. Stories have arc and plot and intrigue. Indeed, they are the age-old way of conveying truth but they're complicated too. The meaning is sometimes a puzzle, a paradox, incomprehensible. We can argue about meaning and motivation and symbols as we analyze from our armchairs, but we're only having that conversation. I'm only having this conversation with you because we heard the same story and we decided to talk about it. Here we see the genius of Jesus of Nazareth. How is it that a radical revolutionary from the sticks on the backside of the Roman Empire, about whom it was sneered, can anything good come out of Nazareth? How is that this man draws thousands to his story? He travels the Middle East telling tales of God's kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like, he says, like an old record player stuck in a rut. He's almost indignant in Matthew's telling. Jesus told the crowd all these things in parables, semicolon. Without a parable, he told them nothing. Indeed, Matthew's gospel is a pile of stories, a collection of stories attributed to Jesus. In today's gospel, we hear six parables about the kingdom of God. Small things like mustard seeds and yeast yield giant results. Faith transforms the smallest efforts, it would be said, and the world is changed. Want proof that a small package can yield big results? Consider the virus that causes COVID-19. 
It's just a tiny bundle of RNA. You can't see it with your eyes. You can't even see it with the magnifying glass. You need one of the strongest microscopes ever made to start to see what it is, and it can't even replicate itself. It's not even a cell. And yet, this tiny packet of RNA from a bat has brought the world to its knees. I do not believe God caused the virus, but it does illustrate the point in a way. Tiny things can grow exponentially for good as well. Faith can multiply our smallest efforts into moments, into movements, into waves, like a mustard seed, like a woman baking bread with yeast. Then we hear of subversion of pearls and treasure with stories that feature merchants and fishermen, the used car salesmen of the day. And we note that God's kingdom is so valuable that once you find it, you'd give up everything to keep it. Next, we learn of the great sorting, Matthew's unique lens through which weeds and wheat, sheep and goats, good fish and bad fish are separated at the end of the age. Never mind the hard reality that most of us hold both good and bad in the same body. And finally, the most hilarious exchange in all of Scripture. Have you understood all of this? And they answered, yes. Except, of course, they didn't, because they asked him to explain himself on the next page. So now, 2,000 years later, We're still scratching our heads at the same stories. We're still telling of a love that killeth death, still proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord and Caesar is not, still making music and art to tell of God's reign. And you might think, well, that's interesting. I like stories as a matter of theory and principle. Stories are neat. Stories are fun. What does this have to do with me? That's what I'm getting at today you have a story to tell. As the old hymn sings, I love to tell the story. T'will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Chances are, if you're listening to this sermon, at some point in your life, God met you or maybe is meeting you. And faith moved from your head to your heart. At some point, the transformational power of love actually changed you. And I want to encourage you to tell your story. Somebody might hear something in your story that you neither intend nor imagine. Remember, that sermon was not about beef stew, or so I thought. It's the only thing people remembered. And in a terrifying time now, We need more than ever to remember, to feel, to tell ourselves that we're not alone. It is our joy to tell the gospel story, a new story indeed, rooted in love. Here's what I mean. My friend Randy is a great priest, and he has been for a long time. But about 10 years ago, he found himself losing his cool in strange situations, snapping at people, getting frustrated easily, struggling to focus. It felt like the walls were closing in on him because his wife, Melissa, was going through chemotherapy. 
And it was a terrifying time. You never want to hear the words, you have cancer. And we don't know what surgery and chemo are like until having lived the experience. But here it was. The surgery happened. The treatment started. And you know, the people of St. James's Richmond offered a master class in Southern hospitality. They brought mountains of Tupperware containers filled with hot dish and casseroles, depending on where you're from, and salads and desserts and jello and bread. They helped drive the kids to things. Time wore on, and still, it was really hard to go through chemotherapy as a family. One night after everyone had gone to bed, the kitchen was a mess. The house was in disarray, and Randy found himself downstairs trying to clean things up. It's one of those days where you just had nothing left to give. And you know that feeling where you open the cabinets and you can't even cram in the pots and the pans because everything's already a cluster in there. It was that kind of night. Finally, he opened the lower cabinet And a pile of Tupperwares came spilling out like a bad game of Jenga. He collapsed on the floor in tears. Reminded of the messy yet profound love his community was trying to show him and Melissa and their kids. And maybe a little differently now, he could accept it as their imperfect offering. A way to embody God's love here, now. Friends, we have just been through a hard spring. And I hate to say it, but I think we have a hard fall coming at us. But don't forget, don't you ever forget that we serve a God of justice and love and compassion who empowers us with the Holy Spirit to make the world more fair and kind and beautiful. Because you know what? That old story is BS. It will die because it was never true. And there's a very different new story that God needs us to tell. It is the story of love. For I am convinced, Paul writes in Romans, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how will we tell that story today? For I am convinced that neither pandemics, nor racism, nor wars, nor famines, nor election year politicking, nor death, nor life, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, I love to tell that story. Alleluia, alleluia, and amen.